The following resource is by CBC Mokopani. For more resources like this, check out our website at www.christbaptistmokopani.com. Good, friends. We find ourselves in Ephesians chapter 6 from verse 4. In fact, it's just verse 4. And um, we continue looking at family God's way so that we as a church and we as individual families can establish biblical families. That we would know what it's like to have a, a family set up regardless of the existing or absent roles that is a family after God's own heart. So we look at parenting this morning and it's funny that we have one verse, isn't it? For the kids, you know, last week, they had three verses. And it's like, wow, that's so much. These poor children have to deal with three verses. And the parents get but one verse, which is nice, isn't it? We just have one verse. So it seems as if the Lord's a lot more gracious with us. Amen? Yes? No? Yes? Listen, let's go to 1 Peter chapter 3 from verse 1 through 6. He's talking to the ladies. I'm like, come on, that's a lot of verses for the ladies. And then he gets to us as husbands, and he gives us one verse. And it's probably the scariest verse in the Bible, isn't it? If you don't know it, go home and read it, and then study it, and then apply it. But we have our one verse, and um, I'm going to trust that, that Jesus is speaking to us by the grace of the Holy Spirit as we do this. Let me ask by starting with a question, what is parenting? What is parenting? Many would come up with different answers, I suppose. Parenting is, you know, letting your children survive, kind of just getting through the day. Uh, By the grace of God, Friday, we've managed to do that for one year. It's a milestone. Come on, church. Amen. That's not what parenting is. The simple answer is loving your children so that they are not angry with you and bringing them up to know the Lord. That's parenting. Teaching your kids to love you, to not be angry with you, and to know the Lord. So we have these two instructions. The verse says before us, do not provoke your children to anger and bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Man, it's, it's one statement. One statement. But in spite of how simple this statement is, parents seem so overwhelmed these days, isn't it? Parents just seem so overrun, just almost outlived by their children. And it, listen, rightly so. We are challenged by various obstacles these days. There's various issues at hand. And so when, when young couples look at parenting, it's a very, very frightening idea. A frightening responsibility. Because yes, parenting is a very serious but also challenging task. Therefore, not a lot of people would embrace it. Now, if you just survey people about having children, they might tell you that, you know, having children is expensive. So maybe just one or two. When we tell people, you know, 
if God wills us, you know, we want four children, at least four of our own, you know, who knows what's going to happen to the rest. People are like, how are you going to afford that? Is that, is that your concern? No, you're not concerned about my sleep, you know, you're not concerned about my well-being, you're worried about my finances, is this dying? On to Satan doesn't want us to talk about children, so we'll try again. And I'm serious. Satan has a plan through the world to destroy family. That's why we're doing this series. So friends, I continue by saying that yes, having children is a serious and challenging task, but being reluctant to have children because they cost money, that's not a biblical reason. And I challenge you this morning, it is not a biblical reason. You can't say, but I don't have enough money. Did you have enough money when you had your first kid? When you had your second kid? Friends, I continue by saying, some of us would make the excuse and say, but I need a bigger house. I need more space if I want more children. I need a bigger car if I want more children. I'm going to have to buy extra clothes, extra food. I have extra medical expenses. What about university? Pastor, how are you going to put four, four kids through university? Well, we'll get there. We'll see. We'll see. People might say that having kids is time consuming. That it, it robs of my time. It, it, it prevents my personal goals. It messes up my interests. I can't go rowing as much. I can't go hiking as much. People say that children are highly demanding. People, some people would say parenting is challenging because it, it calls for a focus on children's activities. Listen, if you want to draw up a, a weekly schedule and you want to fill that weekly schedule for your kids... That's on you. No one says your children have to do 20 to 40 activities in a week. They don't have to. They really don't have to. So friends, we can come up with all sorts of excuses to have kids. And I tell you, unless they're biblical, it's between you and the Lord. It's between you and the Lord. For us who have kids, some of us feel like we're an endless taxi service. Just driving our kid from this point to this point. And so it just seems like it's going to get more and more complicated the more kids we have down the line. But these are superficial struggles when it comes to parenting. And yes, they add to the challenge. But the real reason that raising children is so difficult is coming down to two points. Two points, and we have to understand these two points this morning. If we are going to love our children in such a way that they aren't angry with us, but rather return that with love, if we are to raise them in the nurture and instruction of the Lord, then you will experience the blessing of Psalm 128. To have your children seated around the, ch the table, under your authority, under your instruction, and they will grow up to be the next generation of parents who raise their children in the fear of the Lord. Friends, parenting, and I want to share this with you this morning. 
Parenting is not difficult because it's expensive. It's not difficult because it's time consuming. It's not difficult because it's distracting you from your personal agenda. It's not difficult because it, it gets complex. It's difficult because of the pressures that come from society. It's difficult because we give in to those pressures. That's what makes parenting difficult. It's not because we want to raise them in the fear of the Lord. It's because we want to keep up with society. That's what makes parenting hard. You want to keep up with your kids' peers. Friends, that's not parenting. Parenting is not a status quo. And until we understand this, we're going to find parenting rather difficult. We also live in a sex praise culture, by the way, that promotes the killing of children, the killing of babies. So when you have this misunderstanding of, you know, parenting is hard because it makes me uncomfortable, society will keep on killing our babies. That's why they called it planned parenthood. Where in the world would you have ever thought of that? Planned parenthood. So that when you're pregnant and it's an inconvenience, we'll take care of it. My dear friends, that is satanic. So, as we continue, don't think this is new, by the way. Don't think that raising our kids in a society that doesn't want kids... Don't think that raising our kids in a society where there's pressure, where the kids did make it. No. We also sit with a society of children who are fatherless. Men who are cowards and have no backbone. That aren't in church. That aren't even at home. That are probably right now somewhere in some restaurant or shebeen. Losing their minds. This is what we deal with, friends. And not just the fact that many children are fatherless. Many children are without parents. Who's raising them? Who is loving them? Dear friends, we go back to the first century. And this is the context in which Paul writes, by the way. There was a Roman law called Pateria Potestas, literally meaning father's power, a father's power. And under this law, a Roman father had absolute power over his family. So if his wife bore him a child and he didn't want the child, they would throw it out. Just like that. Don't want them. He could sell his children as slaves. He could make his own children work in fields bound in chain. It wasn't uncommon for the Roman father to have his newborn baby brought to his feet. And if the father stooped down to lift up the child, he acknowledged the child and the child could live. But if he turned away, the child was thrown on the street. Either to die or hopefully for some Christian to find it. And if it didn't die and a Christian didn't find it, 
it would be picked up by someone else and this child would be raised as a prostitute or a slave. One Roman lecturer said it this way, We slaughter a fear ox. We strangle a mad dog. We plunge the knife into the sickliest cattle. Children who are born weak and deformed, we drown. You think that today we're dealing with the biggest holocaust of abortion? It's nothing new under the sun. So Paul writes to this context. Paul writes to a world where children were abused and murdered. Just like today. Difference is, we put a nice name on it. We say it's Planned Parenthood. It's no different. It's no different. Time magazine reported in a survey that 70% of parents, if they had to do it all over again, would not have children. That's scary, man. About 50,000 and up children a year are used for pornography. Children, look around in the church. Who's sitting with you? Who's sitting behind you? Children. A third of all children born either wind up in foster homes or orphanages because they are unwanted. Millions are left at home alone to be raised by the TV while mothers go to work. Society has turned against our children. Friends, you can go find all of this on the web. There are major corporate companies paying for people to be flown in from a state to a state where abortion is legal. They pay for your accommodation. They pay for your meals. They pay for your baby to be murdered. And then they send you back. This is the world we live in. That's why parenthood is lacking. And so Paul says something very simple. To the context where fathers literally kick their kids out of the house. He says, fathers, do not provoke your children to anger. Are you kidding me, Paul? Do you know the world we live in? I have the law... Of the, the power of the Father. And now you tell me I shouldn't upset my children? That's absurd. In the same context, Paul says, But bring them up in discipline and instruction of the Lord. Wait a minute. Now I don't just have the power to kick them out of the house when I feel like it. I have to discipline them. I have to instruct them. You realize we, we live under Roman law. This is not my responsibility. Paul says this is. This is a Christian responsibility. And just by the way, he's speaking to parents. The word father is often used in the context of the New Testament church to represent both mother and father. We see the same context in, in Hebrews uh, chapter 11 when it speaks about Moses' parents. We see the same context in Paul's letters to Timothy. He's speaking to parents. So parents, don't just point and say, ha, that's on you, daddy. No, that's on you collectively, mom and dad. 
This is for parents. And I clarify it because we need to be specific. Let me add this before we get into the outline. A study was conducted by two psychological uh, psych, socialists, sorry, socialists from Harvard, and they identified four crucial factors in predicting whether a child will turn out to be a delinquent, meaning someone who's a bit loose in the head, committing all forms of crime. And this is what they found. Firstly, the father's discipline. If there is discipline in the house, your child has less chance of turning out to be a madman. Secondly, the mother's supervision in the home. Knowing where the children are all the time, knowing what they're doing, and being available to those children. Mothers, how you spend time with your kids will determine how they're going to turn up one day. Thirdly, to prevent this from happening, parents who share affection towards one another in front of their children frequently prevent their children from one day turning out to being a sociopath. Fourthly, was the family's time spent together. How you as a family spend time together determines how your children will end up one day. But you see, this is what we do. We fight as, as a spouse. We fight in front of our children. And they just see how mom and dad get into each other's hair. And then later, they see that mom and dad are happy with each other. Our children don't see how you reconcile. They don't see how you ask for forgiveness. Those children grow up to do the very same thing. And then, you know what's the problem? We sit with 200 years, 200 years of delinquent families, family issues, divorce going up, children trying to leave the home as soon as they can without even finishing school. Why? Well, because we simply aren't loving each other. Therefore, Paul gives us this instruction, a negative and a positive to raising our children or to parenting God's way. Firstly, as our text says this morning, do not provoke your children to anger. It says this, Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Friends, God's Word says that you don't want to make your children angry. Don't want to make them hostile or bitter. You don't want them to turn against you. A lot of us don't raise our children understanding discipline. A lot of us teach, uh, or tease, sorry, tease our children. And they get upset. And we laugh at them about it. That's provoking your children to anger. That's not loving them. Provoke is, is used here in the New Testament as well as in Romans 10, 19. It means to irritate. It means it's an intense form to make angry. Don't make your children angry, says God's word. Don't do what angers your children. Whether that's teasing them. Whether that's keeping food from them. Whether it's being funny with them. Do not 
anger your children. That's your responsibility. Why, why does the scriptures tell us that? I mean, it's so simple, isn't it? It's just, I'm being funny with my kid. Why does God's word have such a strict sense about it? Here's what happens. Children feel rejected by such attitudes. They feel rejected. Kids cannot handle the emotional trial. You tease them. They go into a tantrum and now you want to discipline them. It's natural for them to react in that way. Because right now, you are doing the one thing they don't need. They need your love. They need your discipline. Not you teasing and irritating them. To them it's rejection. And it's scary because children, as they grow up, will try and find ways to get out. They don't want to be in this situation. Just this week I was reading an article of a 12-year-old boy who took his own life because his parents weren't loving enough to step up against those who were bullying him. He said, but what can we do? I tell you as a father that there is plenty you can do to stand up for your children. Another story of an 11-year-old boy who tried to kill his dog and attempted to suffocate his baby brother with a pillow, jabbed pins and needles into his own stomach, and when he was asked why he's doing these things, his answer was, he's 11. His answer was, because mother doesn't have any love in her for me. Why would a kid say that? Because you provoke your child to anger. A six-year-old, listen to this, a six-year-old feeling emotionally rejected by his mother said, I want to die because nobody loves me. At six, this is not a place for a child. How can you provoke your child into such anger? Then we get the other aspect of it. See, in one essence, this is parents ignoring their children. You get the other aspect where parents spoil their children. Give him everything he wants, even more. Just add to it, just spoil him. Just so that you can get your child off your back. Hey, leave me alone. Here's more toys. Here's more sweets. When he, when he nags, don't just leave him. Discipline him or her. Instruct them that this is wrong. But when they nag and nag and nag and nag, we give in so that they can just shush. You're provoking your children. You don't realize it. What we're doing here is we're not teaching our children how to be independent. And meaning his dependence or her dependence is on you. You know what that does to a child when they grow up? They need to find that dependence somewhere else. Upon something or someone else. Usually. Usually. Because these kids don't come from Christian homes always. It's drugs. It's alcohol. It's sexual relationships. That's what they replace you with when they get older. This is how you can provoke your child. 
Protect your child from all those mean Christians who encourage you to discipline your child. Huh? Listen, there's a reason why we have old, an older generation of parents called grandparents. And their role is to still be our parents and encourage us to be parents. Don't say, yeah, but man, it's, I can't just spank my child. I can't just discipline my child. It'll work out. It's fine. Yes, it'll work out. And in 16 years, that child will reject you. This is how you provoke a child to anger. Make all his decisions for him so that he'll never make mistakes and never learn. I'm being sarcastic. This is how you provoke your child to anger. Criticize his father to him or criticize his mother to him so that your son or daughter will lose respect for his parents. That's how we provoke our children to anger. Friends, if you don't want your children to one day reject you, reject the church, reject the gospel, don't let him express himself just in any way he feels. Don't let him run his life. Don't let, don't let him run your life. Instead, teach him responsibility. Give your kids chores. Whatever happened to giving your kids chores? No, it's just so convenient to hire someone. Teach your children responsibility. Teach them that they can do something for themselves. Don't give in when the tent temper tantrum starts. Don't provoke them by being overprotective. They don't bump their head now as a little one. They're going to bump their head one day. And it's not going to be the same kind of head bumping. Give your child room to express themselves. To discover to try something new, be adventurous, play outside, get muddy. And you're gradually teaching your children to be independent. Friends, a day is going to come when you have to release those children. There are parents right now that have, are in such a fear of sending their kids to university. Because they've been hurting them the whole time. Can't go anywhere, can't, can't do anything. And now you're going to set your child free to the wolves? And they're not prepared for that at all. Don't provoke your children by favoritism. That's something else. When you have more than one child, people often provoke them by favoritism. Isaac favored Esau over Jacob. Rebecca favored Jacob over Esau. And what kind of relationship did they have? Come on. Two brothers. What relationship did they have? They wanted to kill each other. So favoritism is good for nothing. Listen, don't compare your kids to each other. Don't set unrealistic goals for your children. Don't throw all the responsibility and accountability on your children. You will exasperate and discourage your children. Friends, don't give in to what's easy. Raising children will be uncomfortable. It will be hard. It will be an inconvenience. 
but you need to faithfully work on the task. Paul says, do not provoke your children to anger. Neglecting your children is another way of provoking them. Remember the story of David and Absalom? Yeah? What did Absalom want to do to his own father? He wanted to kill him. Not just that, Absalom raped his own sister. That's a family with issues. Friends, we need to be so purposeful. Don't provoke your kids with abusive words. Don't swear in front of them. Don't swear at them. Don't call them degrading names. Then there's the addition. Abusing your children physically. The Bible says don't spare the rod. But it also doesn't say destroy them with the rod. Friends, never discipline your children in your anger. Your children need to understand what it means to be disciplined. A child who is often beaten, abused, or overpunished is usually an angry child. It's usually a child that's a bully to other children. Don't do that. Don't give in to society. Friends, if you want to provoke your children, then be overprotective. Show favoritism. Discourage them by abusive language and physically abusing them. Neglect them. Don't love them. That's how you provoke your kids. It's not just the positive in the sense that you are teasing them or irritating them. It's also what you're not doing that provokes them. Children need to see your love through discipline, through instruction, through time well spent. Friends, if you have young kids, catechize those kids. Take a catechism. Help them memorize the question, the answer, and the memory in the Bible verse. Spend purposeful time with your children. If you're not raising your children according to the Word of God, how are you raising them? Are you adding to society or are you building the church? Do not provoke your children. Friends, so we get to the positive aspect, not just the negative. The positive aspect is to instruct your children. Instruct your children. Our verse says, the second portion, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Proverbs 29 verse 15 says, a child left to himself brings shame to his mother. A child left to himself brings shame to his mother. And that's easy, isn't it? It's so easy to put on the TV, plop your kids in front of the TV, and then you can go do whatever you want, isn't it? Very, very easy, very convenient. Put them in a playpen. I mean, they're okay, they're not going to get out. They'll keep themselves busy. I'm just going to do what I need to do. Proverbs says you are raising a child that's going to bring shame to your house. And it's not just what parents do to children, it's what parents don't do with their children that exasperates them. So when you don't instruct your children, when you don't discipline your children, 
This is how they grow up. They grow up with a lack of discipline. Do you want to be those parents that are constantly calling to the school's office? Then don't discipline them. Don't instruct them. You're raising children to not love, to not care. Therefore, they need instruction and discipline. So how do we raise our kids with instruction and discipline? Quickly turn to Proverbs chapter 4. Proverbs chapter 4 from verse 23. If you're there, I'm going to read this portion for us. Watch over your heart with all diligence, for from it flow the springs of life. You get that? Watch over your heart with all diligence, for from it flow the springs of life. You want to see the New Testament equivalent? Go to Mark chapter 7, verse 21. Mark chapter 7, verse 21. Jesus says, For from within, out of the heart of man, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, and foolishness. All these evil things come from within, and they are what defile a person. What do these two verses have in common? The heart. The heart. You see, a lot of us think that we discipline and instruct our children by examining their behavior. Friends, the only thing you are doing is you are playing the psychology game. And you're not truly disciplining your children. You're not truly instructing your children. When it comes to these aspects, when it comes to this instruction, you need to recognize that your child has a heart problem. Are you with me? Your child has a heart problem. And what's that problem? Sin. Sin. You look at your little kids and you say, there's no way, they're so cute. They can't, they can't be sinners. They are. That's why they're so cute. They're so cute because they, when they sin, you won't murder them. Your child has a heart problem. And if you just deal with the behavioral issues, you're not changing the heart. Are you with me? Because a child can, in front of you, perform the way you want them to, but really, what's in their hearts is hypocrisy. They don't want to do those things. So the moment you leave the room, what are they going to do? The very thing they've been wanting to do from the beginning, they just didn't do it in front of you. No, no. We need to nurture their hearts. We need to work at their heart. We don't want to just see behavior change. We want to see the heart change. So number one, if you want to change your child's heart, through discipline and instruction, we need to help them understand that they have a sinful heart. We need to help them understand that they have a sinful heart. I challenge you, after the service, go to town and ask anyone, just a random person you see, ask them, you know, do you think you're going to go to heaven because you're a good person? 
And most of the time they will say, yes, I do good things. You know where that problem starts? It starts when they are children. We don't tell them that there's something wrong. And they need to know that. They need to know that they have sin in the heart. That's where we target change. If we don't target change in the heart, it's shallow, superficial change. One writer says, The world's smallest battlefield is the child's heart. And the conquering of it calls for all-out, hand-to-hand combat. It's warfare. Children don't want to change, but they need to. They need to. So recognize, friends, your child's heart is a battlefield where sin and righteousness are in conflict. And the problem with your child is not that they lack maturity. The problem with your child is not that they lack experience or lack understanding. The goal of parenting is not to control their behavior. It's not to make them polite. It's not to make them respectful. It's not to make them obedient. It's not to give you as the parent something to be proud of. The goal of parenting is to see your child saved from the wages of sin. And your child will never know the need for salvation unless they know that their heart is full of sin. That the reason why they are wrong is because they are sinning. So you need to firstly teach them that they have sinful hearts. Now, as they learn that they have bad hearts and that they need a new heart, you shape your child through discipline and instruction. You don't want your child to just be self-controlled. You want them to understand temptation and resist temptation. I see it. We have a little one. You want to kind of just control their environment so that they don't do the wrong thing. No, no. I'm not changing the layout of the house just so that you won't do the wrong thing. You need to realize that if you're about to do the wrong thing, apart from me instructing you, there is discipline. I'm not going to make it comfortable for you just because I don't want you to do the wrong thing. No, you need to understand what temptation is and I need to teach you how to resist that temptation. And part of teaching someone to resist temptation is to teach them the consequence. It's to teach them the consequence. Don't take the mug off the table, it will break. And if you don't listen, there will be consequence. And children quickly understand what consequence is, isn't it? Yes, they do. So we're nurturing a child's heart. Listen, we also don't just discipline a child physically as a form of punishment for sin. Oh, you broke the mug. Spank. That is not at all what the Bible refers to when it says don't spare the rod. The rod is not to venge for sin. It's not a payment for sin. The rod is there for instruction. It's there for teaching in righteousness and correction. 
That's the purpose of the rod. You don't just spank your kids because they did something wrong and it upset you. That is not discipline. Your child's heart problem is when it sees, when, when he or she sees something they like, whether they can have it or not, they're going to want to take it. Teach them how to deal with temptation by teaching them consequence. We want to teach them to trust in Jesus one day, not to trust in mom and dad. Amen? Deuteronomy 6 verse 7. It gives us the formula for raising children God's way. Starting in verse 4, Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4, it says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. What do we teach our kids? That God is above all of us. That God is sovereign. He's the one who created us. He's the one who mommy and daddy love and serve. And because we love and serve Him, we want you to love and serve Him. But when you don't love and serve Him, you are sinning and there needs to be a consequence for your behavior. Do you follow? Do you follow? Friends, we need to teach them to recognize who God is. Secondly, verse 5, teach them to love God. It says, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your might. Teach your children to love God. How do we do that? How do we teach someone that doesn't know God, that has no desire for God, to love God? Through how we love God. Through how we as a, a family serve God. That's how we teach them to love God. Through reading scripture as a family, through praying out loud as a family, we're teaching our children that we love God and therefore they should love God. Thirdly, verse 6, teach them to obey God. It says this, and these words which I am commanding to you today shall be on your heart and you shall teach them diligently to your sons. All we do is we tell our kids, no, that's wrong, don't do that. Teach them why it's wrong. What does the Bible say about speaking back at your parents? What does the Bible say about refusing the instruction of your parents? Teach them. Then they can understand what it means to obey God. Fourthly, in verse 7, teach them to follow your example. He says, you shall teach them diligently to your sons and talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise up. In other words, let your children see that your life is dominated by the truth of God's word. In the simple things that you do outside, teach your kids who God is. What He's doing for us. And why it's important for us to have a relationship with Him. When you're in your garden and you're taking out the weeds. That's the perfect teaching moment. Why are there these thorns and weeds in the garden? Because we sinned against God. And He cursed the earth. And now we have to work really, really hard to make things look pretty. Now we have to work really, really hard so that we can eat when you are hungry. Do you see how simple it is? It's so simple, but we don't do it. Let's go back to Ephesians 6. I want to wrap it up. 
Ephesians 6. We can translate it to say, bring them up in discipline. Bring them up in discipline. My dear friends, it involves training them, instructing them. It involves teaching them so that they can learn. Everything for your child is about learning. They need to learn right from wrong. They need to learn importance. They need to learn value. Are you with me? We don't think that it's such a big idea because, hey, we understand these things. They'll be fine. They don't understand these things. They don't know these things. Therefore, we need to teach them these things. And my dear friends, it's going to take discipline to teach them. It's going to sometimes take the rod to teach them. So when you bring them up, train them in the instruction and wisdom of God's Word. Teach them what it's like to have a heart after God. Teach them to obey you and your instruction when it's godly instruction, by the way. Teach them that we can't do anything good apart from the grace of God. Show them their sin. Show them the consequence of their sin. Show them they can't do anything about sin apart from Jesus. That only God can change their hearts. Parents, it is your duty to discipline. And start while they are young. Don't assume they're going to reach an age where they miraculously understand and now you want to teach them. They're not going to listen to you. Why? Because you haven't been speaking from the beginning. You haven't been training them from the beginning. Proverbs 19 verse 18 encourages us as parents. Discipline your son while there is hope and do not desire his death. My dear friends, if we are not working at raising our children before the fear of God, we're leaving them to die an eternal death. And if you're going to play the assumption game, you're playing a very dangerous game as parents. Don't assume your children will one day understand the gospel miraculously. Don't assume your, children's are going, your children will turn out okay because you turned out okay. Don't assume, and this is very important, don't assume that the school is teaching them right from wrong and the importance of value, the importance of God in your life. Also, don't assume that someone in church is going to do that for you. It says here in Ephesians chapter 6 verse 4, Fathers or parents, you parents, do not provoke your children to anger, but you bring them up in discipline and instruction of the Lord. That's your job. It's not the pastor's job. It's not the Sunday school teacher's job. It's not the teacher at school's job. It's not the, the aftercare lady's job. It is your responsibility. And the difference is, you are going to have to give an account to God for how you raise your children. You will stand before Him. And it's not going to be funny then. Parents, 
take this instruction seriously. If you really love your children, you will put in the effort. You will make the time. It's not always going to be fun. But I tell you, one day, by God's grace, when they're older and you all sit around the table, you'll recall the funny and the serious and be thankful. And be thankful that you did it. That you stuck with it and you remained faithful. Amen? Let me pray for us. Lord Jesus, this morning we pray that you would give us just your Spirit's grace as we consider these words. We pray that as we look at the task and the responsibility to raise children, to instruct them, to discipline them, to not provoke them, and to lead them in the way, I pray that you would give us much wisdom and grace. I pray that when we get annoyed or tired or overwhelmed, Lord Jesus, that you would give us just the instruction in your word once again of the importance and the value. And Lord, may we walk ever before you as we raise these little ones, trusting that they will be the next generation who continues to do the work for the church, who continues to raise God-fearing children, So Lord, help us to be faithful at this task. And help us realize that obedience is far greater than the sacrifice. Therefore, we pray this in your name. Amen.